Hello, NCEA podcast listeners. During the month of August, we will be replaying some of our most popular podcasts from the year. This podcast originally dropped in July of 2021 with guests Alexandra Keller and Marissa Carroll. They share the successes and challenges that have come with implementing multi-age instruction at their school. And don't forget, starting in September, NCA's podcast will begin visiting Catholic school classrooms across the country. Each week, we will welcome Catholic educators to have conversations about what it's like teaching in Catholic schools. We will discuss teaching strategies, tips, tricks, lesson ideas, and so much more. We hope you join us starting in September, and be sure to subscribe and tell a friend. Welcome to NCA Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us to discuss and learn about multi-age instruction. We have three wonderful guests today, and I will let them introduce themselves so you can recognize their voices. And we will start with Alexandra. Could you introduce yourself, please, and tell us where you're from? Yeah, absolutely. I'm Alexandra Kelleher. Um, I'm the academic coordinator and third through sixth grade ELA and history teacher at Notre Dame School in Santa Barbara, California. Um, it's my fourth year there, and we are in kind of our second year of multi-age learning, and uh, previously I've worked in multi-age classrooms in a Montessori setting. Excellent. Thank you for being here. We really appreciate it. Um, and beautiful Santa Barbara is one of my favorite places. Um, how about Marissa? Could you introduce yourself, please, Marissa? Hi, everyone. I'm Marissa Carroll, and I'm the principal at the Notre Dame School in Santa Barbara, where Allie also is. Uh, before I came to be principal here, I was the director of college counseling for five years at an independent Catholic school, and I also taught English language learners in year three, and in both of those capacities had multiple levels of students uh, who I was supporting and teaching. Excellent. So thank you for being here, Marissa. We appreciate you taking the time. And then our own, Jill. Jill, will you introduce yourself, please? Hi, uh, Jill Annable. Um, in my former life, Assistant Superintendent for Curriculum Instruction and Technology, and also a middle school and high school teacher. Thank you, Jill, for joining us. So um, this topic of multi-age instruction, um, it took me for a little bit to think, you know, I did that. I was a special education teacher in Catholic schools and had third graders and fifth graders in my room all at the same time. And I taught what we call a split, a second, third split way back in 1982. So um, this is not really new stuff. It's been going on for a while. And you think back to the one-room schoolhouses, it's really been going on for a while. So um, I'm gonna ask if, Marissa, if you don't mind, could you define for everyone what you consider to be multi-age instruction? Sure. I consider multi-age instruction when there are multiple ages in a classroom, but also people who are maybe defined by the outside as in different grade levels. Uh, so for here, for instance, we have students who are in third and fourth grade together in one room and they are being taught by a teacher with an aide and they are receiving instruction that meets both all of their needs simultaneously, um, but the different levels might have different ways of assessment or different expectations of them by the teacher. It, which just sounds like really good instruction to meet everyone's needs, doesn't it? <laughs> well, um, so um, 
Al, um, Alexandra, how do you view multi-age instruction and what does it mean for you as a teacher? Yeah, um, so, you know, kind of that baseline of having the different ages in the classroom, but I also see a really important part of multi-age learning as um, really individualized. It's interesting you kind of put, the more you put in, really the more individualized we get. Um, so I think the one of the main focuses I try to focus on is um, following the child. So uh, knowing kind of having the grades and the expectations for each grade, but also knowing where each student is at any given time in kind of all the different subjects that we do. Um, so I think it's it's just a special place where uh, we have a lot of opportunity for students to be both leaders and to be mentored by other students, um, but also just get that really individualized instruction from the teachers. Which I think is what every parent wants to know that their child's learning and getting the attention he or she needs. So, so I see multi-age instruction as being very, um, is something that parents would be very supportive of. And, and so Jill, do you want to talk about multi-age instruction and how you know it and the role of parents in it? Do we find that parents do support this as a new model or an old model that we're returning to of instruction for our students? This was a very interesting part as Kevin Baxter and I co-wrote Greatness and Smallness, a vision for Catholic microschools. The biggest piece here was describing what does academics look like in a multi-age classroom. And it, w it took us a long time to come to um, a careful understanding of how this is different. And what I loved in hearing those descriptions from Notre from the Notre Dame school is that it isn't a split class. It isn't that... Um, that communication of the the apologetic communication of I'm sorry parents but your students are going to have to be in a combined second third grade this year um, and the vision of that is is truly you know two curriculums two lesson plan books two separate report cards uh, even in some in some cases you know desks clustered into two with an aisle down the middle and multi age instruction is much different because by design you are letting students fly. You're letting students uh, grow um, almost like an accordion, I keep saying. You know, sometimes it's fast growth and sometimes it's slow and steady. And students um, are able to pace in small groups and individually in a much different way. And like you said, Kathy, this is just good instruction. You see this type of instruction happening, even if every student in the classroom identifies as a fifth grader. But teachers in multi-age classrooms get to think differently because they already are thinking about multiple lesson plans and paces of learning. And so I've seen uh, now in all these conversations recently uh, such strengths in multi-age instruction in our Catholic schools. And I look forward to everyone talking about it uh, in, a, in a really strong way. We don't have to apologize that we're putting kids of different age levels in the same room together because I've seen very strong academics come out of classrooms with teachers who have this vision. So I, I, I agree with what everybody's saying and, and it's, it's really an exciting time and an exciting project. But Jill, you know, you, you defined it a bit by telling us what it wasn't. So I'm wondering, Alexandra and Marissa, do you have, do you want to say something that it's not? What is multi-age instruction not? Um, it's not a split classroom, which I have to be honest, I gave up on because it wasn't working for me or the kids. So <laughs> we went to a lot of groupings. But what do you think, what, what do you want our audience to know that multi-age instruction is not? It's not a split classroom. Is there other things it's not? Marissa or Alexandra, do you have any thoughts on that? It's 
for me, it's definitely not a setback for the students. I think that's one of the things that when we were rolling it out to our families, something that both Alexandra and I and our other teachers who were very on board with it made clear to our families that it was a way to really highlight and draw out from students their strengths. It It is not a place where people are left behind, uh, or students are left behind. It is not a place where students are sitting around bored watching other people get taught while they're waiting for the next thing to happen for their particular group. And I will say what it is, what we have observed it being, is a very dynamic learning environment. So stagnancy is, is one thing that I don't often find, if ever, in the multi-age classroom. I'm not a bit surprised because I think our schools are very interactive and I know these classrooms are. So Alexandria, what do you want to say about about multi-age classrooms that we haven't covered in helping us to define and know what we're talking about today? Yeah, I, I would add that it is, it's not kind of a crazed way to try to make sure we hit every standard. I think at the very beginning, parents were like, well, how are they going to make sure they hit every single standard for every single student at all the times? And what we see, and especially with the multi-age classroom, knowing that we have these students for longer than the year, is we get to actually be really creative about how and when we're going to hit the standards and why we are choosing the timing that we do. Um, So... Um, like Marissa said, it is not kind of, okay, you wait here until we get to you. There is dynamic, exciting learning happening at all times. And it's a space for students to kind of um, understand themselves as a learner and see, like, if I'm not doing anything, what could I be doing? What is exciting me? How could I push this a little bit farther? Um, and so, yeah, it, it's just been such an exciting opportunity. And I would think, and you you who do this work know better than me, but I would think that students excel in this environment and become more independent. Is, is that a good assumption for me to make or is that not true? Jill, what do you think? Well, in some schools where they have multiple pathways for this, so um, one school in particular I'm thinking of, They have traditional classrooms. They have a traditional fourth grade and a traditional fifth grade, but they also run a section of of fourth, fifth grade multi-age. And in choosing which students, in partnership with their parents, which students um, do well in the multi-age setting, which is a two-year commitment for this particular um, configuration, they look for students who do well in group work. They do well in project-based learning. They inquire. They're the kids who wonder. They're the kids who like to work with a variety of classmates. But they're also the ones who can um, who can be taught to be self-driven through goal setting and their own academic success. Now, I would argue that any child can thrive in that environment um, because multi-age teachers are very organized. And it is a, maybe a noisy classroom, but it's also one where there is just a lot of excitement and awe. Um, but I think that students in these classrooms become very independent. And as a high school teacher, I knew which students came from multi-age instruction models because they are the ones who wanted to push the rubrics and push the limits and say, well, can I also do, or can I be creative in this other way um, because they were pushing themselves. They weren't limited by what the grade level curriculum 
um, was asking for at the high school level. So I see, I've seen that success in the secondary world. And I'm curious, um, I'm curious what you all have seen in the elementary side of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that multi-age learning really allows for students to, again, kind of be self-aware and understand their own learning. Um, I kind of backwards plan using universal design for learning. So making sure that there's like an entry point for all students. So one way that this can look in the classroom is, you know, we're, we're writing a paragraph in a narrative essay, kind of go through like what the baseline of what that paragraph could look like and let students start to work on it. And then maybe about 10 minutes in checking in, like, uh, how else could we expand on this? And students, I've been so impressed by even like my third and fourth graders who understand they're like, you know what, I actually don't need that extension right now. I'm going to keep working with what you gave me. And some students are ready to jump on that next thing. So for students to be able to kind of like check in with themselves and see where they're at on a certain subject or topic has been like really exciting to see their personal growth in that way. Another thing I love about the multi-age room, and I'm in the rooms a lot um, subbing or just, you know, being around the students, because that's also what I like to do uh, as a principal. But what I love to see in the classrooms is that the students are also much more, they have more broadly defined what it means to be, quote, smart or excellent in the particular subject areas. And I've noticed, I've seen in some traditional classrooms where you have maybe the three or four kids that every other student recognizes as the smart kids. They look to them first to answer questions. And then if those four kids don't know the answer, maybe somebody else will respond. But in the multi-age, multi-level classroom, students can have, can excel in different subjects depending on their grade level. And it's not a more, it, it's not a, confined space in that sense. And so I've loved to see students who might not have been recognized as excelling in a certain subject area really come to light and have their fellow students also highlight that to them. So it really becomes a much more collaborative classroom space. That, that, that is inter that's interesting and so healthy for children because collaboration is one of those skills that we know children need to develop the ability to collaborate and communication goes right hand in hand with that. So, so that's great to hear. And it's good to hear that you do feel like the students are developing more independence maybe than they would or maybe de developing that independence quicker because of the multi-age classroom. In the book that Jill referenced, Greatness in Smallness, A Vision for Catholic Microschools, um, it talks about the faculty composition. And I found this, these pages to be really interesting. Marissa, as a principal, what are you looking for in teachers? Who are the teachers that adapt to this method of instruction um, maybe more easily or better? The faculty that have really strong, as Alexandra mentioned, the universal design for learning, maybe not necessarily training in that, but an awareness of the fact that there are different types of learners and that every classroom will have these different types of learners that have a desire and fervor or passion even for differentiation, for ensuring that every student is being met in you know, whatever objectives they are putting forth. A teacher also or a faculty member who really has that collaborative spirit and who 
to be quite honest, has a humility to say, I don't know how to do it, but I want to find out. And then we'll have the drive to go and take that professional development or talk to a colleague or or even just ask, hey, how do I do this? And is willing to ask those questions and find the answers. So teachers who teach well in these settings, maybe the teachers who would have learned well in these settings too. I, I think I see a correlation there. Um, so Alexandra, you're the teacher on this call that's doing this right now. Do you think that it takes different skills than what you maybe were taught when you were in a pre-service program in college? Or do you think this is intuitive? Or just what do you think about the teaching that is required of you in a multi-age classroom? Um, I think that... First and foremost, it's important to remember that we kind of are in a multi-age world um, in the workplace and just in family life. Like you're always interacting with people who are not in the exact same grade level. In fact, really only traditional school is where you are kind of sectioned off um, for teachers to kind of understand that they have these strengths and these skills, but it just might look a little bit different. So just transferring what you know from life into this is is really helpful. Um, I would say that I'm excited to um, see the way that graduate programs and teacher programs are going. I think that collaboration and project-based learning is kind of the forefront and it's, it's really exciting. Um, but even if somebody has been a traditional school teacher throughout their career, um, you are, as Marissa said, always differentiating and always, um, you know, making sure that there's collaboration and group work, even within the same grades. And so I think it's actually can be really effective um, to transfer over to multi-age learning. Um, but yeah, that piece of being able to admit you don't know something is, is big and um, is just ultimately so helpful because as soon as you do, there's always teachers or different ways to, to learn what you don't know. Exactly. And the formative assessment part of it, I think that good teachers, no matter what they're teaching, are constantly assessing and seeing what, what the students know or don't know and what they need more practice in. So I, I think that's a trait that good teachers have, no matter who they're teaching or where they're teaching or what they're teaching. So, um, so all of the you have been doing this for a little while, been working on it, researching it, actually um, running a school that, that's using this program or in the classroom. So I have a question for all of you, and Jill, I'm gonna give you a warning, I'm going to you first. But what is the, the most important lesson you've learned about multi-age instruction since you started researching it? And then Marissa and um, Alexandra, I'm gonna ask you the same thing. What's the lesson you've learned about multi-age instruction that maybe surprises you or has formed you or changed you and your approach to your professional practice? The biggest thing that I keep coming back to is how we look at a classroom changes once you've opened your eyes to this type of instruction. If I look out into a classroom and I only see fifth graders and I've taught fifth grade for 20 years, I have this great strength in my professional expertise that I understand what a fifth grader should be able to do and know and understand in order to be ready for sixth grade. But in multi-age instruction, I think that's this is also a blind spot. So if I have only taught fifth grade and I see them all as fifth graders, I might also always assume that in September they need to learn about this and in October they need to learn about that. And, um, 
And that is a blind spot if suddenly now in your classroom you have third, fourth, and fifth graders or fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. And I think um, if we if we always looked out into our classroom and saw that each child is in a different spot in their learning and a different spot in their interest area, we're going to approach the classroom differently. And I don't know how to erase that blind spot, but I think recognizing it is the biggest impact to opening um, this type of learning in in professional development or in teacher preparation programs is just to look at that classroom composition differently. That's really interesting. Uh, thank you for sharing that, Joe, because I hadn't thought about a blind spot. So, Alexandria, you're in that classroom. What's the lesson you've learned about multi-age instruction that you'd like to share? Yeah, I would say, I mean, probably the biggest takeaway for me has been to kind of get out of the student's way of learning um, in the sense that I felt that I really had to make sure that I was supporting the students to to mentor each other and lead. And I was trying to put all these systems in place to make sure that the multi-age learning would happen. Um, and what I found was actually kind of the spaces where I stepped out of the way, maybe it started in the early part of the year as like our art program, or we have a wonderful garden program. Um, and students really naturally gravitated towards helping each other, showing each other things and learning. And um, it really kind of set the stage for the rest of the year um, for me to make sure that I kind of would, you know, get the structure in place, but then step out of the way and really allow students to jump into the material and become um, excited by certain things. And then, you know, there were different leaders in different uh, academic areas and it was just, it was exciting to see. So um, yeah, just making sure that uh, following the child in both academics, but also even just the setup of the multi-age learning. And I think that purposeful, intentional following of the child is exciting. It's like a mother who's seeing if her baby gained weight and you're following that growth and and i get where that would be wonderful for teachers so marissa you're running this school what's your lesson that you've learned i what i've learned and just to all the the school leaders out there that i didn't expect multi-age going multi-age to do as much as it did for our community as a whole I originally started looking at this to address some of the concerns I had in our community, you know, particularly teachers in silos, students maybe holding on year to year to trauma or bullying that had happened in years past, and students not really meeting new students outside of their classroom. And so multi-age I saw as a natural solution to that. And so when I saw it then in practice after piloting a couple of programs before we actually went full scale, I could not believe the transformation it has had on our entire community and the way that it grows together. Uh, our students have more friends and they are more apt to play with students from all different grade levels during recess, our parents know more parents because they are meeting you know, the parents above and below them. And our teachers are having much more dynamic faculty meetings and talking to one another during lunch or during our nutrition breaks about their students and how they can support each other and support the students. And it is it so exciting to see that there are other schools around the nation that do this 
and to see that everyone does it a little bit differently. And there's always something for me to learn as a school leader and something new that I can bring back. So it really kind of inculcates in our entire community a growth mindset all the way from our youngest preschool student all the way to me. I, I think it's wonderful. And what's more Catholic than building community? So I, I love that answer. That That's fantastic. So if someone is listening to this, they're probably saying, but what about? Yeah, but. So what are the yeah, buts? What are the things that you know people are worried about that you can say, hey, this is that that was an issue. Here's how we solved it. Or that really never happened, even though we thought it might happen too. What are those things that we should listen and look for that probably won't happen that we've already solved if it did happen? One thing I and my pastor, we really worried about in the very beginning was if we make this change, are we going to get parents who just up and leave, who just say, you know what, that philosophy does not jive with me and my family. And so we're not going to do it. And so he and I prayed a lot about it. And what we first did to kind of head that off at the pass is we wrote a joint letter from both pastor and myself about what we were doing and how it might look. And then we held a series of town halls with families to just answer any questions they had. And ultimately, maybe two or three families departed, but everyone else stayed with us and wanted to see what it was like and and have stayed with us. So um, I would definitely say prepare for it and do what you can ahead of time for it, but also know that if it's something you've truly discerned for your community, it is very likely that your community does need it and they will they will join with you. That's awesome. Alexandria, what were you worried about or uh, something you've solved or something that didn't happen that you want to share with our audience and listeners today? Yeah, I mean, initially the parent uh, perception was definitely something that I worked through. Um, in my third, fourth class, particularly, there were multiple sets of siblings. And so um, some of the parents were a little bit worried, particularly if the younger student was stronger academically, because they were worried, you know, they were going to be compared. And, and at the very beginning of the year, you know, there were some big feelings just from the transition. And I mostly heard that at home. But what I actually found was by the end of the year, there was such positive growth from each student and they found areas that they were the leaders in. And so um, there really wasn't direct comparison anymore because they were each kind of doing their own thing in lots of those sets. Um, so that was something that I feel really confident that I can tell parents like, no, I've seen it. It's gone really well with multiple sets. Um, one other area that I was kind of worried about in the transition was just like report cards and grading. And um, what I found you know, if COVID brought us one thing, it was technology uh, kind of all the way through our classroom. So Google Classroom has been fantastic because it's just really transparent throughout the uh, trimester. So um, we can have really open conversations with the parents the kind of the entire time. Um, and so it, it became less about like, what grade are they going to get if we start doing this program? It was, you know, here are your grades and that's happening, but also let's refocus on how are your, how is your student changing and growing? Here's what I've noticed. Here's where I could see some improvements. Um, so kind of, you know, having the, the grades always present really took away the, like what's going to happen factor of grading and allowed us to have like a more dynamic conversation about student growth in general. 
That's awesome. I hate it when grades get in the way of learning, but they do sometimes. So that's, that's great. Jill, you have a national perspective on this. You've been working with teachers and principals from across the country. And what, what have you learned that you can say, relax, it's going to be okay, this X isn't going to happen or, or whatever? What is it that you want to share that you can tell people it's going to be okay, this is how it really works? Right. Time and time again, parents are concerned and their yeah, but has been, yeah, but you're only doing this because the enrollment declined in this grade level. And what I have seen time and time again is that instruction is strong in this model because the teacher's mind, sh mind shifts in how, how students learn. And that in these cases, when enrollment goes back up, schools maintain multi-age instruction. They're maybe just running two sections of multi-age and certain grade bands in the building because the instruction works. And I think that is um, a difficult decision on the onset, if it is multi-age classrooms because of enrollment. Um, I think that's a big moment for principals to say, but what are we doing here? And parents are concerned in those moments. But with the right instructional approaches like we're hearing about today and that you can read about in the book, you'll see that the strengths outweigh the um, hesitation. And that over time, schools who choose multi-age stay with the model because of the strengths of the instruction. So the good news is that great instruction triumphs again. And that is good to hear um, because good instruction is at the heart of what we do in Catholic schools or we attempt to do every day. And I know there are lots of teachers working on that. So Marissa and Alexandria, thank you so much for joining us. Jill, thank you for all that you're doing for Catholic schools. Marissa, is it okay if we send people your way um, to learn no more about Notre Dame and Santa Barbara? Yes, please. You can always reach out to us at our website, NotreDameSB.org, and my email is listed there. I welcome anyone email or call anytime. Oh, thank you very much. And Alexandria, I think you're going to get calls from teachers if that's okay. Absolutely. Send them my way. <laughs> And so the book that Jill wrote with Kevin Baxter, who's now at the University of Notre Dame, is called Greatness and Smallness, A Vision for Catholic Micro Schools. And that is available on the NCA website, nca.org. Please keep listening and watching for more information from NCA on these topics. Because again, if you are teaching at a traditional school, there's still things that you can learn from this because it's about good instruction at the end of the day. It's about caring about our students at the end of the day. It's about building community and it's about prayer and belief in God. So none of those things go away with multi-age. In fact, we just try to magnify them more. And we are so grateful to you for listening to NCA Podcasts. Thank you very much. Join NCA's Laura McDonald and Jessica Roberts on a virtual trip to classrooms across the country. Beginning in September, our podcast will welcome Catholic educators to have conversations about teaching in Catholic schools. We will discuss teaching strategies, tips and tricks, lesson ideas, and so much more. We hope you will join us starting in September. Subscribe and be sure to tell a friend. Okay.